done it for Twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they bade him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See it to yourself and and throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One of you. Jesus has been telling his disciples over and over and over again that the Son of Man, he will, be, he will suffer he will be rejected, and he will die. 
And the disciples hear that and they grumble and they moan and they're confused and they don't know what to do. But not until Matthew 26, not until this moment does Jesus drop this bomb that the one who will betray him, it will be someone that he loves. It will be someone who has walked with them for three years. It will be someone who has heard Jesus preach and seen his miracles. It will be one who went with them and preached in the name of Jesus and healed in the name of Jesus, someone they laughed with and they ate with and they hung out with, someone that they would have called friend, one of them, one of them, not someone from the outside, would be the one who would betray Jesus and turn him over to death. And what is striking to me, and what should cause every one of us to stop and to pause, is that not one of the disciples hears those words and turns to Judas and says, it must be him. Judas is so well hidden. He looks so much like everyone else, so much like a disciple, that when Jesus says, one of you, their minds and their thoughts and their hearts, it doesn't leap to Judas. It says instead that they were sorrowful and they began to turn to one or another and say, Lord, is it me? Is it I? Am I the one? It's a question that every one of us should ask. Because here's the warning of Judas. It's that it is possible to be a friend of Jesus. It is possible to have relationship with Jesus. It is possible to have such intimacy with him that you could walk up and kiss him on the cheek and yet still in your heart, still in your heart, be one who would betray the Son of God. And if we look at this text and we see a man who has seen things that David and Isaiah and Moses and all the prophets would have longed to see, and still he could betray. One that Jesus himself personally selected to be a part of the 12. That means that there is not one of us in this room who's immune. And so to each and every one of us, there is that question that we have to ask, Lord, is it I? And what Matthew would say is to that first question, there's a second. Because when all the disciples begin to say to Jesus, Lord, is it I? Judas is not just the last one to speak. He is the only one in all of Matthew 26 who does not call Jesus Lord. He is a picture of a man who has decided that he's going to see what happens when you serve two masters and discovers that what Jesus has said is really true, that you can really serve only one. Because when Judas goes to the chief priests and the elders, we don't know his motives completely. We don't know if he was disillusioned with Jesus. We don't know if he was thinking that this would be a catalyst that would push Jesus to act in a certain way. But we do know this. When he went to them, Judas had a price. He said, what will you give me? And as soon as they say 30 pieces of silver, it says from that very moment, that very second, he immediately began to search and to seek an opportunity to betray him. 
it's a warning that while we may look at our sins and think them small, that we may think our idols and those things that Jesus has told us to put away, we may think they are insignificant and they are not dangerous and they are small. What the warning of Judas would be to us, the warning that J.C. Ryle put so well, it is this, it is that one leak may sink a ship and one unmortified sin may ruin a soul. And in gaining the, what we think is the world, we can lose the thing that is most precious. And in the very midst of this, as Jesus is looking at these disciples, what is amazing to me is he is not deceived. Judas may think he's hidden, he may be hidden from the disciples, he is not hidden from Jesus. Jesus sees him, he knows him. And yet, Jesus in his grace does not expose him. He doesn't lay him bare before the disciples. He doesn't say, see, that's the man. No, he casts the net in such a way that all the disciples remain blind, but Judas cannot help but see. He says, one of you will betray me. One of you who has dipped your hand in this cup on this table, one of you who is sitting here right now. And while this may be the plan of God, while this may be the means that God saves his people, for you, this will be something that will make you wish you had never been born. Because the consequences will be eternal. And when all the disciples begin to say, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And Judas finally says, Rabbi, is it I? Jesus looks him in the face and says to the man who has 30 pieces of silver still jangling in his pocket, to the man who just a few hours before had gone to the chief priests and the elders and said, what will you give me and I will betray him? Jesus looks him in the eyes and he says, you have said so. He knows Judas, and he is calling to Judas, but Judas just keeps on going. And even when Judas brings the band of men who to arrest Jesus, even when he comes with a fake greeting, greetings, Rabbi, and he smiles and he kisses him and betrays him, even at that moment, Jesus, in his grace and in his mercy, he still doesn't treat him like an enemy. He says, friend, do what you came to do. And the tragedy of Judas is he sees this grace, he hears this grace, but he never responds. Instead, when he hears that Jesus is condemned, he realizes that he is condemned too. And he begins to look for any way possible to alleviate the guilt. He goes to the chief priests and the elders, these people that God has given so that those who are broken and weary and full of sin could go and have their sins dealt with. And he goes to them and he says, I have sinned. I have taken innocent blood. And they look at him and they say, so what? See to it yourself. He takes the money and he throws it away thinking he can get rid of the guilt, he can get rid of the condemnation if he just removes it from himself, but he discovers that while the money may be on the floor, the sin is still on his back. Until finally in despair, utterly alone, he goes and he prepares a noose. He chose the wrong Lord. Where he could have had a kind, compassionate, merciful Savior. 
He chose a Lord who was cruel and indifferent and who in the end destroyed his soul. The grace of Jesus is that we have the warning of Judas that we would not experience the tragedy of Judas. It is that you and I, we would not look at our sins and say, this is no big deal. This is not small. But instead, we would fly to Jesus, to the one who, when we bring him our sin, does not say, see to it yourself, but who says instead, I will see to it. I will bear it. I will go. Judas missed it. And so alone and in despair, he hung himself and he died. sung a hymn, they went outside to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they are all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with the Jesus to Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said, 
And she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept, wept bitterly. Let me read those words to you again. Jesus said to him, him being Peter, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter was appalled that Jesus would tell him that. How, how dare you tell me that I would deny you, Lord, was the attitude of Peter's heart. He responds with, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. The confidence of Peter, pride even, perhaps. It tells us then that all the disciples followed Peter's lead and declared the same, that they would not deny him either. And they followed Peter because Peter was their leader. Now, of course, Jesus was the leader of the disciples. But Peter was the one. Peter was the one of, of the other 11 who was the alpha male, if you will, of the, of the other fallen followers of Christ. He was the one who would always be the, the first to act, the first to speak, to lead. In fact, in every account in the Gospels, when the when the disciples are listed, Peter's name is always first. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle with, with James and John. That's how it was always listed, Peter, James, and John. Those were the inner three who spent more time with Jesus than, than anyone else. But Peter's name was always first to signify this is the leader, the lay leader, if you will, of the disciples. Not only did he spend this, this intimate time with Jesus as a, as a friend and a brother, as a part of his inner circle, he, he probably may have perhaps spent some time with Jesus unlike any of the others in the sense that Jesus' headquarters, if you will, when he was conducting his ministry around the Sea of Galilee was in the small little fishing village of Capernaum. That was Peter's hometown. It's thought that even... If Jesus had a home during his ministry, it was with Peter. He would stay with Peter in his home in Capernaum, live there. Peter was so close to Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. Peter shared so much life with Jesus that he felt like he needed to, to be the one who spoke up first in all ways. And so here's what I would define Peter as. Peter was bold and he was full-hearted. You know, it was, it was Peter in the shadows of the cliffs there in Caesarea Philippi when Jesus is walking with the disciples alongside the, the river there, the headwaters of the Jordan River, and he turns to his disciples and he says to them, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who quickly spoke up on behalf of all the disciples and boldly declared, you are the Christ, 
the son of the living God, and Jesus affirms him and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. And yet it was just a few short minutes later that they're continuing to walk, and Jesus begins to explain to them that this Christ that he is, the one who is long promised, is going to have to suffer and die. And it's Peter, bold Peter, who takes Jesus to the side and begins to rebuke him. Can you imagine? Rebuking Jesus. Bold Peter. And Jesus says very sharply, maybe with a hint of love, but sharply, get behind me, Satan. For you do not have the will of God in mind, but the will of man. Peter didn't understand. It was Peter who, when Jesus called him out of the boat to say, trust me, walk on the water, he boldly steps out on the water. Now he becomes fearful once he's out there, but he walks for a moment with great faith. That's who Peter was. And of course it was Peter when Jesus on that that dreary Thursday night in the garden, when Jesus is pouring out his his soul and his, his tears and literally his blood as he wrestles with the Father, not my will, but your will be done. And finally the authorities come, led by Judas, as we just heard, and they they come to arrest Jesus. And it's Peter who jumps in between the authorities and Jesus because he's gonna defend his Savior boldly, this Messiah. And so it's Peter who draws the sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus steps in and says, no, Peter, no. This is not how this is going to go down. And Jesus heals the man's ear. See, Peter loved Jesus so much, but he was, he was really confused. He had missed the purpose of what Jesus was doing and why he came. You know, if Peter were with us right now, physically speaking to us from the stage, he might say something like this. He might say, I was, I was so confused because I had left my livelihood to follow this man for the last three years. I had been away from my family, and, and I am absolutely convinced, I was absolutely convinced that this is the Messiah. This is the long-promised one who would come and rescue Israel from the oppressive reign of Rome. And so I was confused. I didn't understand why, why would this Messiah, who's going to deliver us in such a way, allow himself to be arrested and taken in towards the cross? Why would he do that? I don't understand because I watched him do miracle after miracle after miracle. And I knew that it, all he had to do was speak a word. Just, just say something, Jesus, and these men would fall. You could stop this from happening. You're not coming to save the way that I thought you were. Jesus, and yet he let it happen. How was salvation going to come from this? Surely he can't die. And so Peter might say, so in that moment I'm watching them take Jesus and I'm there in that courtyard and I'm so confused and my confusion is leading to fear and I know that I had said just a short time ago that even if I have to die, I will not deny you, but in that moment I didn't want to die. So when they approached me, I said I didn't know him. And I said it again. And I said it again. You see, Peter did get part of the picture. 
that yes, this Messiah had come to deliver his people from oppressive reign, but not of Rome, but of sin. And Peter missed the purpose of why Jesus came. And so he panicked and he denied his Lord. Maybe you, do, you, maybe you identify with Peter. I know I certainly do where when I don't understand what Jesus is doing and I don't understand why he's letting certain things happen, I, I am quick to deny him. Now maybe, maybe you or I have never said he's not my Lord, I do not know him. Or maybe you, you have said that, but it may not be a verbal denial but with your heart, with your actions even perhaps, you're quick to deny him. And then there's Jesus. In the midst of his greatest need, the most critical hour of his time on earth, his disciples and their bold leader have abandoned him. And he's left unto himself to take the weight of the sin of the world by himself. And if that weren't enough, he's on the cross. And he's bleeding to death on the cross. And he's suffocating to death on the cross. And who knows where his disciples are? Where's Peter? We don't know. Is Peter watching from a distance what's happening? We don't know. All we know is that he's not around. And we don't know where some of the other disciples are as well. But we know that Jesus is on the cross, and if it weren't enough to be abandoned by Peter and the others, his father, his very father, the one that he had been united to perfectly in perfect community from all eternity past and is continuing to be united to in perfect unity and community for eternity future, in this very moment on the cross when the weight of the sin came upon him, the, the sin of the world my sin and your sin, the Father turned his face away and he was even in that moment abandoned by his Father. Forsaken. You see, Peter didn't know at that time what was going to happen. He didn't know restoration was coming from this Savior, this, this grace through this Savior, the very one that he had just denied. And so he did the only thing he knew to do. He hung his head and he cried. This cross, it invites us to confess. It invites us to look and to see what our hearts really look like. But it also shows us what the heart of God looks like for us. What we're going to do now is a corporate confession. I'm going to read the first portion and then I'm going to invite you to read with me the second. It says this. 
Heavenly Father, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in your Son, Jesus. Yet we confess that even though you have provided us with everything that is needful, our hearts are still prone to wonder. Now read with me. The sins of Judas and Peter are not theirs alone, but ours as well. Like Judas, we have responded to your love with enmity. And like Peter, we have responded to your warnings with pride. We boast in our zeal, even as we stand on the very doorstep of denial. We parrot our allegiance, even as we wink at our idols. We trust in ourselves, and we should trust only in you. Father, forgive us. It was our hands and our sin that nailed your son to the cross. Deliver us from our self-sufficiency and carry us to the throne room of grace. Let's spend a few moments silently confessing. The beauty of the gospel is that though it was our hands and our sin that nailed Jesus to that tree, it was Jesus' heart and his love for sinners that led him there. Because when we look at the cross, we see the moment when Jesus looked at you and I who were his enemies. And we see that moment when he says to you, I would make you my friend. Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, you are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the betrayed and the denied one. He has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lima Sanfatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it, gave it to him to drink. But, other, but the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who went with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this man was the Son of God.